Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Chris Belmont, CIO MD Anderson Cancer Center. In this segment, Belmont talks about the biggest challenge with a major transformation, why going to Epic is like starting a small business, and the CIO's role in preventing parallel cultures. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So to give uh, our listeners and readers some background, um, can you just give us some information about MD Anderson Cancer Center, uh, just kind of how the organization set up and what you have with hospitals and other facilities, things like that? Okay. I'll be glad to. Um, first of all, MD Anderson is uh, one of the premier cancer centers in, um, actually in the world. It's uh, based in Houston, Texas, in the Texas Medical Center, along with other facilities. Um, we're also one of the healthcare organizations related to the University of Texas. So uh, we have some sister hospitals here in the state. About a third of our patients come from the Houston area. About a third of our patients come from Texas, and then the other third come from the rest of the world. Um, we, uh, we're specialized, like I said, just in cancer care, although we do provide many of the same services that a, a full-service organization would have. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, obviously not at the same level or scale. Um, our oncology services are premier. We are um, we're, one of the, the things that we focus on is we um, we huddle around diseases. So instead of just having a general oncology group, we have special centers uh, specific to specific cancers. For example, we have a breast center and a um, and a, um, a prostate specialty. So um, you know we are uh, we're very focused, and we have teams that are focused just on those specific diseases. Um, as far as um, the information systems go, you know, our organization in information services is a, approximately about 900 um, staff, and that includes quite a few consultants that are in and out um, and doing some backfill work um, for while we're going through a transformation, which I'll talk about in a minute. Probably supporting about 1,000 apps, like many other organizations, we're looking to manage our portfolio a little bit better. Um, probably have too much redundancy and duplication, and I think we have an opportunity not only to reduce costs, but drive out some of the complexity and, and improve the user experience by more or less standardizing and, and kind of managing that portfolio a little tighter. Um, as everybody, it didn't happen intensely, it just grows that way. So uh, that's part of the transformation we're talking about. Um, as far as our big projects going, are going on, we're coming off of a major ERP implementation with PeopleSoft, um, and that's uh, that's improving. We had some speed bumps post-live, like many organizations do, uh, mainly around getting the data back out of the system, so the system's functioning fine. But do we can we get the reporting done properly? So that's uh, that's drastically improving. Our, our biggest uh, project on the way, like again, like many other organizations, is um, we're moving our core clinical applications to the Epic platform. Um, prior to that, we had, a, I would say, a best of breed, uh, some of it homegrown, some of it commercially available. Um, a lot of it had to be customized uh, just because we're a specialty cancer center. So um, I, I would argue that prior to now, or even prior to a few years ago, you know, there, were, there was not a system that would fit our needs appropriately, and we feel that now that Epic has matured and that we've matured and modified as an organization, that now this is the time to do it. 
Um, our homegrown EMR served us extremely well. Um, it was built around a service-oriented architecture platform, which I think will some of those components will continue on and complement Epic very well. Um, but that transformation is, you know, disruptive. It also gives our organization a chance to kind of look in the mirror and say, you know, do we need to continue doing things the way we do? So we're also going through a lot of process improvements, taking the opportunity to modify the way we do business, um, drive additional standardization um, into the organization, and um, and uh, pretty much standardize our reporting and kind of lean out some of the processes we have. Um, so the information system side of things is, frankly, the easy part. I think the change management piece and the uh, process improvement piece is the most difficult. You know, we started on the epic journey in the fall of 2012. Um, is that right? 2012, yes. And um, uh, we won't go live until 2016, March of 2016. Um, so the... Uh, the, the software process, like I said, and the implementation of the, the systems themselves um, are working. Um, the challenge now is how do we drive change into an organization that has, um, you know, operated sort of independently in a distributed fashion for, for probably since its existence. So, uh, but it's encouraging. We have a great deal of engagement from our staff, from the uh, institution in general, from our executive team as well. A couple other things that are happening at the organization that are putting an interesting twist on us. Um, obviously, we do a huge amount of research. So our um, 19 petabytes of data is growing consistently um, due to the genomic information and imaging information and the number of images that we capture. And, um, so how do we manage that not only from an IS and a technology perspective, but how do we manage that from a, a big data approach? Um, and driving good data governance and understanding where the data is and making sure that we leverage it across the institution and not just in a silo. So that's uh, one of our other major initiatives. And then what analytic tools do you put on top of that? Um, and how do we expose it and make it easy to access but also highly secure? So you're hearing the same thing that probably many other organizations have um, as far as challenges. But, um, right. you know, I, I think we're going to... We're going to be just fine if we uh, learn from others and apply some of the industry best practices and continue to just uh, pay attention to the details. I wanted to just kind of step back a little bit. Um, there okay. are so many great things you're working on, a lot of interesting stuff, and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know the, the EPIC implementation. Mm -hmm. Now, when when did you start at MD Anderson? I started at MD Anderson in uh, September of 2012. I'm finishing up, um, you know, which has been a pretty good sprint to get to, to know the organization. Right. Okay. So now at, at that point, what was what was the status? Like, had Epic had been selected at that point? Yeah, Epic had been selected as vendor of choice, and they'd actually gone through the contract negotiations, and we were just working through the Texas procurement processes. So uh, my first visit of my first month here, I actually had to go with the president and uh, um, ask for the the significant funds related to this project. But it was uh, it was well done. I think the project was well uh, set up and underway when I got here. Um, the team was not put together yet, so since then we had to hire almost 200 um, folks. About 60% of those are coming from operations. Um, I'm sorry, about 60% are coming from information services. About 30% are coming from 
um, operations, and then we're sprinkling in some additional new hires and uh, supporting some uh, with very few uh, contractors and consultants. Okay. That's something I think would be a, an interesting process mm -hmm. just as far as putting together a team of, of that magnitude. What was kind of a strategy there as far as what, uh, you know, what you were looking for? Yeah, if, if you've been through this before, and this is my second time doing this. I did it previously at Oxford in New Orleans uh, very successfully. It was, a, it was a little faster, a little more aggressive timeline, but uh, again, I think very successful. But it, the same processes apply here. It's a team sport, so it's not an IS. You know, we always want to say, especially CIOs, we always want to say these are not IS projects. This is not. Again, the IS piece is the, uh, the more predictable side of things. But when, when, we, when we decided to go into this, the first thing we did is sat down with our HR leadership and said, look, we need a, you know, we called it a rapid response team uh, here. And they dedicated quite a few resources. And we, um, you know, because we had to sprint to get these people hired and in place or in new jobs and onboarded and with places to work and, and those those things um, prior to them going into training. Because your epic timeline is very dependent on your ability to staff up and get people certified. So we uh, getting that number of people on board, you know, with the management structure and everything in place, it was almost like a, a small startup. Um, yeah. but, our, but the organization responded aggressively. Um, our HR team stepped up uh, fantastic, uh, as did our legal team and some others. When, when you say that it's like a small startup, I would imagine that that kind of gives the opportunity to, you know, kind of maybe try to um, create a certain environment uh, rather than going back and you know, having to do that kind of uh, culture change. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, the, the, the challenge is, is that when you bring this team on board, it's really for a finite period of time. But even though it's somewhat of a startup, it's still a project at the end of the day, and it will... Mm -hmm dissolve back into the organization at some point in time. So you've got to be um, careful not to create a haves and a have-nots environment. And you have to be uh, you have to be careful not to create a parallel culture. Um, you know, they, they'll all sit together, so these 200 folks have a dedicated floor in our building. Um, so they, they kind of generate their own culture. And um, our challenge as leaders is to make sure that they understand that they're part of a bigger picture. Um, and, um, and you constantly have to do that. That's not just, hey, guys, don't go off and do your own thing. It's constant because they just generate their own gravity, more or less. And um, so that's a constant challenge. And, and then the others in the institution, especially um, the folks working on the legacy platforms, non-epic platforms, uh, you have to watch them as much because those systems have to function flawlessly until epic's available. In our case, it's over two years. And, um, and if they, you know, decide to leave or get the wrong impression. So you can't create this epic have and have not environment. And, uh, you know, I encourage anybody that's going through this to pay a lot of attention to that because uh, that could get you in a lot of trouble and actually impact the institution during the epic implementation right when you don't need disruption. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. And um, it, just just a lot of uh, interesting things in, in terms of change management. It seems like you, know, oh, yeah. you can't really have one strategy across the board. You kind of have to have different ways of dealing with different situations. You know, you, you bring up a good point, and I think it's the, the, the key thing to any significant transformation project is uh, I, I personally feel that the two most important aspects of a project of this type is the change change enablement or change management piece and communication. And sometimes you want those two together, but the reality is, is you can never do enough. 
Um, you can never do enough communication. There's always a different mechanism, and even if you blast it out there, there's always somebody that doesn't read it, and you'll surprise them on the day of a go-live. But more communication is better. Um, getting it to where it's um, relevant and personal is, is a challenge as well. So you don't want to just blast out everything. The people in the business office don't really necessarily care what's going on in some of the clinical areas and vice versa. So you have to make sure it's easily accessible and relevant. And, um, and you know, I encourage people to really, um, that's one of the key hires, I feel, is our, our uh, communication folks and our change enablement team. And I think we have a total of about eight folks doing that. Um, you know, it's setting up the town halls and setting up. Right now we're going through a series of grand rounds where we're bringing in <clears throat> colleagues from around the industry that have done Epic before and kind of talking us through it. So we're kind of using the grand rounds um, approach that most uh, medical institutions have to bring in these special speakers. And the attendance has just been amazing. And, the, and I think the benefit will, be, um, will help us through this transition. Right. Some of the things you have to keep top of mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice to listen to people that have been through it because you're, you're kind of in the moment and you feel like, oh, you know, this is so disruptive. But the reality is people that are on the other end of it um, will tell you that it's, uh, it's, it's a nice feeling. And I'll tell you that I've done that once before, and it's, uh, it works just fine. Thank you for listening to this podcast from HealthSystemCIO.com. To hear other podcasts, Visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.